Welcome to Friends from Football, a weekly NFL show within the Friends from Work network hosted by yours truly, Kyle Sconewell. Turn down that music, turn it down, because here we go. Skull Vikings, let's win this game. Skull Vikings, honor your name. Go get that first down, then get a touchdown. Rock 'em, suck 'em, fight, 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 fight. Skull Vikings, run up the score. You'll hear us yell for more. V I K I N G S. Skull Vikings, let's go. That's right. To all the haters, to all the doubters, to all the unbelievers. Sit down for at least one week. Sit down. Let us enjoy this moment. I tried to tell y'all that there was a chance that when the Vikings lost Justin Jefferson, that they could go three and one over the four game stretch that he was out. And so far, two and oh. Two and oh. The Minnesota Vikings in a shocking upset shock and stun the world by beating the San Francisco 49ers when the lights were brightest on Monday Night Football, a game that apparently the Vikings cannot win. The Minnesota Vikings beat the San Francisco 49ers 22 to 17. And this is the craziest part. It wasn't even that close. It wasn't even that close since Kirk Cousins has been in Minnesota every single year even when they had good years there was always this feeling that when we run up against the big boys of the league we are going to get physically dominated on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball and so in 2019 when the Vikings won a playoff game at New Orleans crazy victory They go on to play the San Francisco 49ers in San Fran in the divisional round, and they get run all over. At one point, the 49ers, I think, ran the ball 17 times in a row, and we couldn't stop it. Even in years where the Vikings were average and they were playing a bad team, like the Chicago Bears, teams with strong physical linemen on both sides of the ball would control the game. And yes, the Vikings could get away with some wins. They could steal some, like last year. But it never really felt like the Vikings were physically imposing. They were never really dominating up front. Well, I've been saying since we started this podcast that this year feels so strange. If you follow the Minnesota Vikings, you would notice that they weren't getting dominated up front on either side of the ball. You would notice that they weren't really stalling that much on offense other than these freaky, weird things like horribly timed turnovers that weren't even bad plays. They were just dumb. Or drops at key moments. It was never due to a lack of moving the ball. And the Vikings' defense, when they've wanted to, when they've put their mind to it, they're not good enough to do all of it on defense, but if they want to stop the run, they can commit to stopping the run. If they want to commit to stopping your quarterback, they may give up some rushing yards, but they can stop your quarterback. And I've been saying that. This has been the weirdest season because in three of our four losses prior to this game, I felt like we were playing really, really well and just losing the game. 
Then you look at who have we played. Well, the Vikings have played the Philadelphia Eagles, arguably a top five team in the NFL. The Kansas City Chiefs, arguably a top five team in the NFL. And now the 49ers, arguably a top five team in the NFL. And in each case, last night they won against the Chiefs. They literally had a flag picked up down seven to be on the one yard line. And against the Eagles, lost by six, attempting an onside to get the ball back. And that was with four fumbles in that game in Philadelphia on a short week. So I've been asking all you listeners to think about it. Who can't they beat? I think last night proves the answer is nobody. Now, does that mean they're going to win the Super Bowl? Absolutely not. In fact, I don't think they will win the Super Bowl. But this team was never that far away. This team was never looking into selling at the deadline despite all of the ESPN and NFL Network reports. I was telling people they're not going to be sellers. They're so close. The schedule gets lighter. They have Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison and TJ Hawkinson and Kirk Cousins. And their two tackles are the highest graded tackles, one and two, in the NFL. Their center, Garrett Bradbury, when he's played, has yet to give up a sack. Cam Bynum, their safety, is leading the league with tackles at his position. Jordan Hicks and Harrison Smith look rejuvenated. They're not selling. They're only losing because they're throwing the football out of the back of the end zone on a fumble in Philadelphia. And I think that's one of the reasons why last night's victory over the 49ers felt so good. In all of those prior seasons where they got physically dominated, last night, we controlled it. We controlled the line of scrimmage. For the first time since 2018, we played one of the big boys and we imposed our will. The Vikings were the better team yesterday by any measure. Yes, there were a few red zone issues, and I wish we could have touchdowns instead of field goals there. But the Vikings moved the ball on every drive. They had 450-plus yards of offense without Justin Jefferson. So all of the talking heads today are talking about how, oh, well, San Francisco didn't have Debo Samuel. Oh, really? We didn't have Justin Jefferson. Did you see what Kirk Cousins did without Justin Jefferson? Did I not tell you that this could be the case? Did I not bring up that in 2016, Kirk had one of the best offenses in the league with absolute nobodies? Did I not say it forced the McVay coaching tree to be creative and come up with other things? So you know what? Shout out to Kevin O'Connell. I thought he called his best game of the year maybe of his entire coaching career. Shout out to Jordan Addison making a game-changing play right before halftime and bouncing back from a game-changing play on the first drive. Shout out to TJ Hawkinson. I've been harsh on him. Well, he showed up. TJ Hawkinson with 11 catches for 86 yards, just battling for the close yards, good vision on screens, blocking hard, no obvious pass pro mistakes. Jordan Addison, seven catches, 123 yards, and two touchdowns. Shout out to Brandon Powell, a really small ex-college running back 
that just stepped in at receiver and had four huge catches and a couple of clutch carries on jet sweeps. Jet sweeps have been asking for those. Shout out Brandon Powell, someone I was excited about since training camp. You can go back and listen on this podcast. Shout out Cam Akers, coming from nowhere, being tossed out of Los Angeles and taking a couple massive screens here. Two catches for 30 yards, 31 yards on the ground. But for me, this is Kirk Cousins' day. This is Kirk Cousins' day. Are you kidding me? One of his best performances ever, as comfortable and poised as he's ever looked. And I got to say here, shout out to the Vikings offensive line. So many of my friends and family were so used to complaining about the offensive line, and rightfully so. But we officially have a good offensive line, and it showed. Look what happens when Kirk has time in the pocket. The offensive line faced the best defense in the NFL, Nick Bosa and company. We passed 45 times in the game. 45. And with 45 dropbacks, we took zero sacks. Only six quarterback hurries. Shout out to the Minnesota Vikings moving company, as Paul Allen would call them. But this is Kirk Cousins' day. 35 of 45, 378 yards, two tutties against the San Francisco 49ers on not just primetime, Monday night. Monday night. The night he can never win, according to ESPN. Kirk was in control of the game from the jump. So dialed in with his accuracy. All of the things that he does well, the average NFL fan doesn't see or appreciate. And that's why they partially think, well, he's just a pretty good quarterback. Even today, with me following all the media, he still gets undersold with how good he is at processing in the pocket, making decisions, and his accuracy. He is the best in the NFL at processing from inside the pocket and making throws accurately in the pocket. Is he the best quarterback in the NFL? No, that's not what I'm saying. But within the pocket, the best. Yes. You think I'm crazy? Patrick Mahomes quoted saying, I need to improve in the pocket like Tom Brady or Kirk Cousins. Patrick Mahomes' own words. Google it yourself. He is the best quarterback in the pocket, and that goes unnoticed. It's not flashy, right? It doesn't make ESPN. Him delivering a ball in stride, on time, in the rhythm of the play, while dodging Nick Bosa is not a flashy YouTube-type Kyler Murray highlight, Justin Fields highlight. But the things he does elitely go unnoticed. But I'm noticing. Today is his day. There is a statistic that is very accurate at predicting just overall good quarterback play. It's called completion percentage over expected, CPOE. You've heard me quote it before. And just so I further define this for you, the stat is basically saying on a game-to-game basis, what percentage of the throws, more or less, is this specific quarterback completing over what the average NFL quarterback would do. So as an example, 
a completion percentage over expected of like five, six, seven, eight percent over the course of the year is incredible. That would be league leading. Right now, Geno Smith is actually leading the league at 6.5%. Josh Allen is second in the NFL at 5.5%. But Kirk Cousins is fourth in the NFL, only behind Geno Smith, Josh Allen, and Jalen Hurts at 4%. Listen to this. Kirk Cousins against the San Francisco 49ers had a completion percentage over expectation of 22.3%. mother loving percent. That's a grown man right there. Just making adult, grandfatherly-like throws all night. 22%. So I just told you that 6.5% leads the league. He had a single game where he completed, on average, 22% more than the average NFL quarterback would on Monday night against the San Francisco 49ers without Justin Jefferson. It was by far the most complete game the Vikings have played in a, a year and a half, for sure. And this is why I've been saying that if right now this three and four Minnesota Vikings team lined up against the 13 and four Vikings team of last year, I believe that this three and four Minnesota Vikings team would beat last year's team. It's also why I said the Vikings could go three and one when Justin Jefferson got hurt. And it's also why I said, even if the Vikings were to have lost this game last night and be two and five, I don't think they should be sellers because they have proven they can play with anybody and they have a stretch of games where they will be expected to win. Now, are they going to win all of them? No, but it is why I said, I think there's a chance they go five and one or five and two and get back to seven and seven. And then you take your chances. Nine wins might get you into the playoffs this year. Now, you have to just give me this day, obviously. I don't know how the rest of the year is going to play out. There's a chance they trip over themselves and fall into a trap game against Green Bay next week. That is totally possible. But I don't think it's going to happen. Kevin O'Connell and Kirk Cousins are getting closer and closer to dialing in what they want this offense to look like. I hope that Kevin can take what he did yesterday, the creativity, the trick plays, the jet sweeps, the precision passing from Kirk, the just total lockstep nature with your quarterback. I hope he can take that and continue it on even when Justin Jefferson is back. We don't need to force Justin Jefferson the ball. You just need to get Justin Jefferson worked in instead of some of these other guys. So Justin Jefferson in, K.J. Osborne out, and then run the same offense. Justin will get his. He'll be the open receiver in these progressions at times. We don't need to force feed him. I hope that Kevin can continue that mindset even when he's back. I hope that as we are celebrating Kirktober and Kirkvember, he can continue to play like he always has in these months, just absolutely locked in and dialed in from the jump. I hope that the offensive skill players can continue this upward trend of finally showing up mentally to play, making tough catches, not fumbling, running through correct holes, having vision and patience in the open field. That's what they did yesterday. And I hope that the offensive line can continue to ball out like they have been all year, all season long. 
And yesterday, Dalton Reisner made his first start at left guard, performed unbelievably well, and we finally have a problem that I never foresaw coming. I talked about how the left tackles are locked in. I talked about the center has been dialed in. That means left guard and right guard are the two somewhat lesser spots. And yet, Ezra Cleveland at left guard has been balling. He gets hurt. Dalton comes in, he balls, and right guard has been an issue for the last two years, and now all of a sudden, Ed Ingram at right guard is improving. So what do you do? We actually now have three guards that are all above average. So who has to sit out? That's the best problem to have. And I hope that the defense, which is resurgent and finding itself under Brian Flores, continues this upward trend of mastering what they've learned. You saw a defense that was able to take away Christian McCaffrey on the ground and ultimately at the end of the game, fluster Brock Purdy into some poor decisions. I've been telling you the defense is steadily improving. I said at the beginning of the year that my hot take was going to be the Vikings defense was going to go from the worst in the league to average. And yes, that was a hot take. Well, right now they are above average. It's going even better than I had hoped. The Vikings 3-4 and four record is not reflective of what this team is capable of. It is not like other years. And like I said, I have more confidence in this team and the way it's built with the defense we have than I did last year. And so we'll see. What Brian Flores is doing on defense is mind-blowing. All last year, we had the most conservative zone-based scheme with no blitzing that I just said, why are we doing this? If we don't have the talent, why don't we at least take a chance? Well, this year... We're taking chances. Brian has got the defense playing smart. We're blitzing a crap ton. And here's the thing about the blitzing. You would think that by blitzing as much as we do, there would be holes on the back end for explosive plays. Well, we're blitzing as much as we do, and we're limiting explosive plays at the best rate in the NFL. It truly doesn't even make sense. So look, anything can happen. I still don't know what's going to happen, and the Vikings have proven that they can play down to their competition, a la Carolina or Chicago. So it's totally possible that, I mean, the NFL is the craziest league ever. It's totally possible they don't win all these games. But last night was such a monumental win for the Minnesota Vikings. And look, now I want the Vikings to be buyers at the deadline. <gasps> yes, you heard me say it, buyers. If anything... You've proven you can play with anybody, and the NFC is wide open. You don't even play Detroit until the last three weeks of the season. You play them twice. So theoretically, you may even get back into the divisional race if you keep playing the way you're playing, winning three of the last four. The Vikings could still use a good running back if one is available before the deadline. I would take a really stout defensive lineman, whether that be like a nose tackle or a pass rusher. And I would add a corner if somebody was available, just like a depth piece. Um, but I think that they're playing well enough to be in this thing. Anyways, what an absolutely crazy Sunday night. The game started at about 7.15 central time where I'm at. I watched it just glued to my television until it was finished at 10:15 central. I hugged my wife, we celebrated, and then I immediately sprinted down my neighborhood. My brother lives like six houses down from me, so I sprinted to his house, kicked the door open, celebrated with my brother and sister-in-law, went back to my house, and I had 104 text messages from the time the game ended to about 10 minutes later when I was back at my house from Chris's house. 
So think about that. Not 104 text messages from inside the game, 104 text messages post the game being finished in that 10 minute gap. I answered as many as I could. And then I had a 50 minute phone conversation with Grant Paulson, who you've heard on this podcast, just breaking down everything that had happened and the craziness from that game. So now it's like 11.15 and I was so wired, I could not sleep. So I stayed up from 11.15 to about 12.45. My wife and daughter are sleeping. I stayed up just consuming all the post-game content, all of the Twitter stuff, looking into the statistics, et cetera. And then I couldn't sleep. I got up so early at like 5.45, not able to sleep, constantly thinking about the game. And then I had to go to my studio to work and I'm sitting at my studio, staring at Pro Tools, ready to work, and I couldn't bring myself to work because I was so obsessed with consuming everything on my side computer about the Vikings. It's just, look, when you're a fan of teams that never win things, and I always talk about how sports 90% of the time is sadness, right? Even on this podcast already, I've been quoted saying that you have to let me enjoy and other Vikings fans enjoy the 10% of the time. And I think you need to give a shout out to those guys that I talked about earlier and let them enjoy it this week as well. Even if they lose next week, this was well-earned. Congratulations to the Minnesota Vikings. What a victory. What a crazy game. And that leads me perfectly to a quick look at the rest of the NFL. All right, briefly here, I'm not going to spend much time on this. There were, again, numerous, just mind-numbingly crazy games in the NFL. Look, we always talk about how the NFL is a week-to-week league. And this year, I think it's even more true than a lot of other past seasons. This year is drunk. There is no explanation for some of the things we're seeing. Look, I went one in four in my bets last week. That's how little I know about this. And I was as sure about this week as I've been in a while. I picked the Lions plus three. Oh my goodness. At one point, Detroit was down 35 to zero to the Baltimore Ravens. Shout out Lamar Jackson. He looks like an MVP candidate. 35 to zero in a game that I thought the Lions would win. I literally just came on this podcast last week and said, the Lions are now becoming one of the most consistent teams in the NFL. And then I turn on the game and they're losing 35 to zero. The Bears put a stomping on the Raiders. So that Vikings win is looking better and better. The Chicago Bears with a division two rookie quarterback put 30 points on the Raiders and won the game. How does that make Justin Fields look? Are you kidding me? The Browns and Colts played a wild one in which the Colts got absolutely jobbed by the refs. How do you explain the New England Patriots beating the Buffalo Bills? That's two weeks in a row where the Bills play way down to their competition and the one in five Patriots get a win over a top five team in the NFL. The Steelers, after all of the hubbub about what is wrong with the Steelers, their offense is so bad, it's still not elite, but they're now 4-2 and two with a win over the Los Angeles Rams. Seahawks keep rolling. The Packers-Broncos game, I don't even know what I was watching. That wasn't football. Gosh, that was ugly. Just two of the worst offenses in the league in a BB gun fight looked awful. Packers lose to fall 2-4. and four. The Chiefs are one of the safest things in the NFL at this point. And the Eagles pretty easily handled the Dolphins, another pick that I got incorrect. Again, 
just a wild week of upsets, of parody, of anybody can beat anyone, of any given Sunday. All of that is true. All right, so as I said, my best bets went one and four last week to bring my season total to 16, 17, and two, just under 500. Obviously not where we want to be. This season has been abnormally difficult to get figured out. I was correct on Jacksonville beating New Orleans. I've been riding the anti-New Orleans train, and it's been working for me. And I have correctly ridden Jacksonville improving these last few weeks. But I was wrong in Detroit against Baltimore. I was wrong that Arizona, well, Grant was wrong, technically, that Arizona would keep up with Seattle. They lost by 10. I was wrong that Miami would keep it close against Philly. They didn't. And then I hedged my bets like I said I would and picked San Francisco minus six and a half. And not only did San Francisco not cover, Minnesota actually won the game, which, as I said in last week's episode, I don't even care about these bets because I'm so happy from the game. But I do want to get some more of these correct. I'm going to come back to a few classics here, a few teams that I've gotten right recently, starting with my emotional bet here. I'm taking Minnesota minus one and a half versus Green Bay. Now look, this is obviously as big of a trap game as you'll ever get. Minnesota just came off that emotional win against San Francisco. Teams that face San Francisco often struggle the following week because of how physical they are. And Green Bay had a really awful, ugly game against Denver last week. And so they're primed to kind of bounce back. They want that taste out of their mouth. And so this pick doesn't seem to fit here. At one point, the line opened at Green Bay minus one. I wish I had jumped in then. And this is a game I probably should stay away from. But look, I am fully buying that Cousins and O'Connell are going to have the offensive side of the ball ready to go and that it's not a thing where they're not looking forward to this game. And it's a trap game because of the rivalry nature of going to Lambeau And because of the momentum, I think they're going to want to keep going. And then on the defensive side of the ball, slash for the whole team, the thing about playing a team after the week of San Francisco is that you always say, well, San Francisco beats you up physically. Well, guess what? That didn't happen. We beat them up. We're not hurt. We imposed our will on them. So I'm not sure the hangover, so I'm not sure the typical hangover of playing San Fran is a thing here. I'm going to go with Minnesota just to keep this rolling and maybe win three or four games in a row here against Green Bay, minus one and a half. I'm going to take Philadelphia minus six and a half against Washington, and this is for two reasons. One, I think Philadelphia is getting it figured out. Their win against the Dolphins was impressive. But more importantly, this is a Thursday night game, I believe. But more importantly, I think Washington is massively heading in the wrong direction. I don't think they have their coach, and I think Ron Rivera is going to get fired at the end of the season, but they're just holding out until the season's over. They're not performing on defense. They do weird, unaggressive things on offense. Riverboat Ron is not the same. And I just think it's two ships headed different directions. Washington's tanking and going down, and Philadelphia is massively surging. Plus, I think Sam Howell is a decent player, but some of the shine is off there. Some of that early magic is gone. Philly minus six and a half versus Washington. Houston minus three versus Carolina. I think this line should be bigger. I have successfully bet Houston, I think three or four times this year, a surprise story for sure. 
They're not going to blow Carolina out, but Houston's a better football team. Kansas City minus seven and a half versus Denver. And this is just because right now, Kansas City's one of the safest, most consistent teams in the league. They're riding that Taylor Swift energy wave. And Denver is a shell of itself. Just an absolute shambles. I think this is a 20-point game. Kansas City minus seven half versus Denver. And lastly, this is a weird one for your boy. Chicago plus eight and a half versus the Chargers. The Chargers are a weird team. They can't win, but they're a pretty good team. But between Chicago prior to the Vikings, they scored 40 points. Then they played the Vikings and struggled. And then last week they scored 30 again. I think Chicago's actually weirdly figuring it out a little bit. The Chargers win this game straight up, but I think the Bears can keep this within eight and a half points. I see something like a 24 to 20 loss for the Bears, but I'm going to take Chicago plus eight and a half. All right. And thanks for listening. Just a quick look ahead here. I mentioned some of the interesting games already from week eight. Uh, the Thursday night game of this week, which is actually tomorrow night, is the Bucks bills That one was almost one of my picks. That'll kind of be interesting. I think the Bucks are not as good as their three and three record says. I think the Bills are better than their four and three record, but the Bills are coming off two really bad games. Rams-Cowboys is interesting to me. Obviously, Packers-Vikings is a rivalry game. Jets-Giants is always kind of a fun AFC-NFC game. And the Bengals and 49ers is the last game I want to highlight. What is San Francisco at this point? I still think they're one of the best teams in the league, but they've lost two in a row. Literally two weeks ago, we were talking about how is it the best start to a team in the last decade when they were 5-0? and That's how quickly the narrative can shift. They've now lost two in a row. And they're coming up against a Bengals team that started horrifically and has slightly bounced back and got all the way back to 3-3, three and three, coming off a bye. Does Cincinnati recapture some of their Super Bowl run magic and start playing better down the stretch? They have a really tough schedule and get back into this thing? Or does San Francisco bounce back and dominate Cincinnati up front? That'll be an interesting game to keep your eye on. And then do the Lions bounce back? How legit are the Lions? Last week, I was pretty sure they're very legit. Now I'm a little bit questioning that. I haven't given up hope. I like what they're doing there, but that was an embarrassing loss against the Ravens. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. If you haven't already, the rating and the reviewing, it takes 60 seconds. It would really help me out. It really supports the show. If you would just take 60 seconds out of your day and give us a five-star review, write a little blurb, a one-paragraph thing, I would very much appreciate it. And if you listen and subscribe, that's the best way to support this podcast and tell your friends about it. Thank you for listening. We'll be back here next week talking about more football stuff in the NFL right here on Friends from Football. Go Vikes. Go Vikes.